I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab, which is a member-led, inclusive global networking community for fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and consumer luxury professionals. I'm glad you're back for season two, where we have more career stories. Every week, two members interview each other, so you'll get to hear two different stories. I hope you'll learn from these stories, listen to them, share them, and join us and tell your own story. Hello, everyone. I'm Amanda Vianos, and I'm here interviewing Abby Cook for the CoLab podcast. Um, Abby, I'm so looking forward to learning about you and, and having our chat today. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it as well. So tell me about yourself. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do, um, where you grew up, what you're doing now? Sure. Um, I'm a, a trend forecaster in fashion and design and also a, a creative consultant right now. And I, I mean, originally I'm from, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn right now. I've been here for about 15 years, but I'm originally from a tiny town, about 700 people in central Wisconsin. And um you know, I always wanted to work in fashion like you, and I just, living where I lived, you didn't have a lot of opportunities, so I was just constantly looking at fashion magazines and playing dress up, all that, and um, I knew I wanted to, you know, figure out a way to get to fashion somehow, and I you know, kind of had a winding path, but I, I went to a couple different universities in Wisconsin, went to FITM in LA, and then ended up coming back to Wisconsin because things were not working out there. And I got my degree at um, University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I had a strange degree. It was called interdisciplinary arts. And it was, I, th- I feel like it was a degree for creative people who didn't know what they wanted to do <laughs> with their life. And so um, I, I chose textile design, costume design, and fashion. It was a thing where you could choose multiple things and, or sorry, not fashion, dance because um, I grew up dancing my whole life. And so I kind of tried to make my degree as fashion oriented as possible. Um, but I, I'm i glad I came back to Milwaukee because I ended up meeting my wife there. And uh, I was teaching tap classes, adult tap classes in college as a way to make money. And she ended up being one of my students and I was her teacher. And together, like we, like she had gone to culinary school in New York and had always wanted to move, move to New York. And I had never been to New York City before. And so we, we, I ended up blindly moving out here without any jobs, without any place to live, and just kind of crashed on friends' couches until we, you know, found our footing. And now, 15 years later, here I am, and you know, no looking back at this point. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that you have such a dance background. I'm also a dancer, and tap is my favorite. So Get out of here. I, so I, cool. lo- I actually love to hear that. <laughs> That's amazing. I started doing some adult tap classes here in New Jersey last year, and they've been amazing. I love oh, the cool. background. <laughs> oh, cool. We'll have to take a dance class together. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So how did you get into trend forecasting then? So yeah, trend forecasting was a completely unknown career path to me. And it was while I was at um, the University of Milwaukee that I had an opportunity to do an internship in Paris at a textile studio called uh, Malia Kent. And they were a studio, a textile studio, you know, known for creating fabrics for Chanel. And I never, I'll never forget, I was, you know, I was there and I was, you know, supposed to design fabrics for them. And they, they gave me this big book and just told me to follow it. And I, I had no idea at the time that it was an actual trend forecasting book, but I remember opening it up and the color palette that I was supposed to follow to create the fabrics was lime green, silver, black, purple, and orange. And I just thought it was so hideous. 
And uh, I ended up you know, deciding to only use silver black and like a subtle, subtle use of lime green. And, uh, you know, I created a small collection with them and fast forward three years later and I'm now in New York and I was walking along Fifth Avenue and I walked by the Bergdorf Goodman windows and I found one of my fabrics on a Chanel mannequin. So I was kind of like, oh my God, this book worked. And I still didn't quite understand that I could be a trend forecaster and what that still really meant. But through, you know, various gigs, um, I, I originally had a job at Kohler back in Wisconsin before moving to New York and I was working with bathtubs, toilet sinks, not fashion, um, and ended up you know, doing um, some gigs at Martha Stewart and just freelancing as a prop stylist. And I finally, I kind of just through various colleagues, um, they told me that I should really look at color forecasting. So I found my footing and got a job at the Color Association of the U.S., which is the oldest color trend forecasting agency in the U.S., and um, there, you know, we had clients of like Toyota, um, stationary companies, fashion brands, et cetera. And we would help um, put together color palettes twice a year for, you know, for the various clients. And I was mentored there by uh, the former director, Margaret Walsh, who really understood like color psychology and really taught me to appreciate art in ways that I hadn't really had the opportunity to do before. And um, so I was there for like a year and then I ended up falling into Cotton Incorporated, which is a nonprofit promoting the use of cotton. And they had the most, you know, insane trend forecasting group there. And we, because we were a nonprofit, we really didn't have to worry about selling as much and we really got to be creative. And so it was kind of there at Cotton. I was there for almost 10 years that um, I, I got to understand trend forecasting and really kind of hone my, my skill at it. And you know, while I was there, you know, we would travel around the world, either doing trend research in places um, like I, I was sent to Jaipur, Kyoto, San Miguel de Anda, Reykjavik, all over. And I would photograph like what the cool kids were wearing on the street or like interesting fashion. I was shopping for samples and kind of understanding the the whole retail landscape of what everybody was designing. And, you know, going to like art exhibits and new restaurants and it, it was fantastic. I mean, it was a lot of work. It was super fun, but a lot of work. But basically, we were kind of like cultural sponges and kind of the eyes and ears of the world observing culture to figure out, you know, what everybody was going to be wearing two years in advance. And we, we also got to travel to give trend presentations. So, you know, as an example, like I would give denim trend presentations to Levi's in San Francisco and turn around and go to Hong Kong and give them the same presentation. Um, you know, we met with like textile mills and manufacturers. So like everybody was on the same page. And, um, you know, we had international offices around the world. So I really got to kind of form relationships with the fashion industry in many different countries. That's, so that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, especially I, when we very first networked, which was a few months ago, I had no idea what a trend forecaster was. And I love that you describe it as being like a cultural sponge. <laughs> Um, I think that's amazing. I mean, for everybody else who's listening to this podcast who may not have like a big understanding of what trend forecasting is, like, are there any other ways that you would use to describe it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a you know a funnel process. Like we we again look at kind of what's happening all around the world culturally, and then how will that you know funnel down into fashion? And so, like one of one of my kind of proudest moments and, and just something I'm super, just super happy about is Millennial Pink. Um, my team and I had a huge hand in creating that color, not realizing quite how big that color was going to be at the time, but we were 
I mean, the color represented so much more because we were looking at like gender role reversals and my team and I, you know, when we were, when we were buying samples around the world, like I, I remember finding a boutique in New Zealand and they were a genderless fashion brand. And this was like back in I think 2009. So it was, you know, kind of a new thing to still, to have a genderless fashion brand. And, you know, we saw stuff in Tokyo and Stockholm and just, we're noticing a lot of just gender role reversals in, in general, like more dads are staying at home and the, you know, wives were going to work. Um, and we also read a really interesting article about a male fashion designer who was the first male to walk a woman's fashion runway show. And so we just, you know, we saw all these kind of things happening and, you know, gay marriage wasn't even uh, legal yet, but we were, you know, kind of steadily promoting that as well. And we had, you know, this, this faint blue and this faint pink, and we were telling everybody that, you know, men should wear the faint pink. And I remember, you know, giving a, a presentation in Texas at a fashion brand. And I was talking about this pale pink color and I'll never forget this guy like stood up, interrupted my presentation. And he was like, ma'am, you know, do you, you're in Texas right now. <laughs> like you're crazy for talking about this. It's never going to happen. And, you know, fast forward how many years later and look at the blow up of millennial pink. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of things will, will stem from a much bigger, bigger picture. And then it like funnels down, funnels down into silhouette color fabric, et cetera. So I hope that kind of makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, it's so funny, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> so then after, so you were with Cotton for a long time then? Yeah, almost 10 years. Okay. And what happened after that? Then I decided that I, I ended up going to a another trend agency that was, you know, for profit and kind of learning just, you know, basically, you know, how, how do you run a business as a trend forecasting agency since I was used to really just being on the creative side of forecasting. So I wanted to kind of learn just how, how does that look in a proper trend agency? But with, with the bigger idea that I, I always wanted to go out on my own, I just had different ideas and um, try my hand in other areas as well. Like, so now I've been a consultant for a couple of years and um, have been doing more than just fashion. I've actually been finding a lot of success in marketing companies because I didn't really realize like what I, what I'm doing was also a form of marketing. And I was just so in the creative realm of it that I didn't fully understand like all the sort of skill sets that I had. So I've been working with one creative agency, especially that um, deals with startups. And I've been loving that because they do everything from, you know, beauty and fashion and tech. Um, so yeah, I've been just kind of applying my skill sets to, to other areas, always fashion, but just to, you know, kind of cast a bigger net. That's amazing. Do you think that your career has been pretty linear or do you think that you've made some pivots? What do you think about that? I mean, I definitely, I mean, I went from designing sinks and toilets at Kohler. <laughs> so I, I mean, it was a, an amazing opportunity because I was dealing with their artist edition. So it was these beautiful, it was kind of like doing like textile design, but on ceramic. But yes, I definitely um, I'm happy that I was able to pivot off of sinks and toilets <laughs> into into fashion. Um, so it's definitely not a, a linear career path at all. Um, but I I truly believe that you know everything leads to something important, even if you don't see it at the time. That's so true. What are you? I know you said that you're most you're very proud of your millennial pink, which I think is really incredible. I mean, who would have thought that it would stem from something so small into something so large scale. Um, is there anything else that you're like particularly proud of in your career? I mean, besides, 
I think not when I first started out, I didn't even realize how big of a hand I had in shaping cultural movements. So, I mean, that's just been a proud, a proud thing in general, just, you know, from dealing with like the sharing economy and the longevity of skinny jeans and all these different things that you're like, wow, this is actually affecting, you know, maybe even millions of people. Um, so I definitely, you know, I'm proud of those cultural movements and helping them. Um, but I honestly, like, I'm, I'm proud of just taking a chance and moving to New York when I've never been there trusting my gut and trusting my, at the time, girlfriend, um, and taking a chance on like entering an industry that not many people, you know, know about, um, especially again, myself being from a small town and just, you know, taking the chance of going into forecasting and really being able to you know, use your intuition and being able to like hone my sixth sense. Um, cause that's really what I feel like we all kind of have antennas on as trend forecasters. Like we have like a little sixth sense thing happening. Um, but, but honestly, too, and this is something that I, I've only kind of realized now that I'm really proud of being an out lesbian in the fashion industry because I think it's traditionally filled with, you know, straight women and gay men. That's kind of been the stereotype of the traditional you know, group of people. And so it's been interesting having to navigate that, especially in the early to mid 2000s when I didn't have anybody to look up to to kind of understand how I could fit in. Um, and so, I'm you know, I'm proud of, of doing that and just going into industries that didn't always... Um, I don't know that I just, I never really thought I'd, I'd find myself doing. So I guess just taking chances are, are my proud moments. I think that's great. And I think especially being out as a lesbian in an industry where there is not a lot of people who are, um, I think is really, you know, you can pave the way for a lot of people who are kind of afraid to, to come out and truly be themselves in an industry that, you know, claims to be so creative and, and different. Um, I think that I think that's really special. I'm really happy for that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, hmm. Would you do anything differently if you could start over? No. You know, I, I and sometimes I thought like, oh, I wish I would have gone to a fashion school, you know, like Parsons or um, FIT. I mean, I know I tried my hand at FITM, but it really did not did not go over well. But you know, because of that, I came back to Wisconsin, and you know, I, I got to meet my wife, and that's you know something that's so lovely. <laughs> so I mean, I I think it's kind of like what I said before. Just I feel like everything leads to something, even though you don't realize it at the time. So I definitely wouldn't change anything. It's so true. You're never sure. You know, sometimes you take chances and you you do things differently than you would have anticipated, but it really pays off in the long run. Yeah, definitely. I, I could not agree more with that. What, um, what do you think would be your biggest lesson learned? Um, I, I mean, a huge part of my job has been traveling around the world and having to navigate and work with, you know, various cultures. And I think a lot, oftentimes I was by myself as well. And I think there's something that is really interesting when you travel by yourself, because it really, p- people are like more willing to talk to you. And I think, you know, through all the traveling, I just, I've learned that, we all have the same needs and concerns and emotions in life. And so I I love kind of learning that and and knowing that I don't have to be afraid if I'm traveling by myself and, you know, we're really truly all connected in in the same way. But I also think maybe a really big lesson I've learned is just, you know, I, I know we've all, you know, struggled working with certain colleagues or clients before. And I mean, again, I fully admit I'm definitely a sensitive person. And so I really pick up on, cues and that kind of stuff. And it can be hard sometimes for me to work through. And instead, I've kind of learned to step back and realize that everybody, even if you're not liking the person at the time, can teach you something. And, you know, whether it's something that you never want to have to deal with again, but you've learned something in that process or project. Um, 
but for the most part, yeah, I, I love, I just, I love constantly learning and I just genuinely feel that everybody can teach you something, whether it's in a good or bad situation. That's such a good lesson to have learned. I love that. <laughs> it, was, it was hard to get there. Trust me. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's, hard, it's hard to deal with. It's hard. It's, it's helpful when you're, especially dealing with just frustrating situations or, you know, not getting, not getting along well with somebody or whatever, you know, just, it's really helpful to see that there's always beauty in something that they can always teach you something. I love that. Have you had any, you know, failures or things that you've really had like a tough time going through? Um, I, I mean, I guess like initially just even starting out in, in trend forecasting and not really knowing what it was right off the bat, you know, kind of, you know, I guess we all learn on the job, but, um, you know, trying to navigate that path, I guess, and just, um, really kind of honing in on the skill set that there's so many different skills that we use as trend forecasters. But I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. I feel like every, even if there's a failure, like, again, you always like learn from it and maybe it had to happen in order for something to happen next. Um, but I, you know, I feel pretty good. <laughs> feel pretty good about where where things have been, and, and um, you know, I mean, I guess maybe the biggest thing is just with again with traveling and just trying to deal with all the snafus that come along when you're traveling by yourself and lugging, you know, two seventy pound suitcases filled with samples. Oh, sure. <laughs> navigating that whole that whole uh, world. Um, but yeah, been there. Yes, <laughs> we all have, right? Um. So I'd love to hear, actually hear a little bit more about your consulting. Yeah. I mean, it's, for me, I really um, wanted to do custom forecasts for clients. Um, oftentimes there's like a general forecast that all, you know, all brands will receive. And I just really wanted to push harder for brands and really give them unique um, specialized forecasts for them. And I think, there's just so much digging that you can do more for, you know, per client versus just kind of a generalized thing. I mean, a trend is always a trend no matter what, but you can, you know, funnel that down into, you know, different, um, I don't want to say silos, but, you know, different sort of industries and different ideas. And so, you know, especially like everybody will always ask me like, what's the color of the year going to be? What's it color? And I mean, I, I just fully believe that, you know, we, we have these color palettes, like usually I'll have four trends in a season and, um, four color palettes. So one for each trend. And, you know, that's consisting of, you know, some like 42 colors. And so I like being able to work with clients and really make things work great for them, you know? So maybe, you know, if, if the it color like this year was, you know, every, well, everybody kind of has their own it color, but if you're just going to look at pants on only, you know, they had a classic blue and maybe that classic blue doesn't actually work for everybody. So I really wanted to just help people navigate through color, especially because, you know, color is so important. Um, you know, our purchasing power is, uh, is usually like 75% of purchasing power is by color. So it's, it's a big deal, you know, and I think color can easily be overlooked. So that was something I really wanted to tap into with going off on my own and helping people with color. But, you know, I do, I do a lot with patterns and fabrics and um, again, just like marketing messages as well to again, per every client's different. <laughs> so whether it's fashion or more marketing or a startup brand, that kind of thing. That's amazing. Are there any kind of notable clients that you work with if, if you're comfortable sharing um, or like types of clients? 
Yeah. I mean, I've, I honestly have, it's a quite the range kind of like yourself too, where it's, I mean, every like major big box retailer you can think of, you know, like the targets and Walmarts of the world all the way to Marc Jacobs, Calvin Klein. Um, so it's kind of everybody in between from both those ends. Um, I mean, we don't always work with, you know, the, the top, top fashion designers because, or those fashion brands, because so much of our inspiration as forecasters comes from that. Like I'm always looking at the runway shows and deciphering like what's kind of happening at that level. But for me, I'm always looking at, like people always say, like, does it try and come from runway or the street? And it's in my book, it's both, it's both worlds and kind of tying that together. Um, so yeah, but, but as far as clients go, it's, it's quite the gamut of, of, of clients. So what's next for Abby Cook? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep consulting for sure, but I've also, um, started a brand with my wife called the taste curators. Um, my wife is an Emmy winning chef. She just won an Emmy this year. We're very excited about that. And she was a, a, the former VP of celebrity chef, Jada De Laurentiis from the food network. And so she's, you know, she's had quite the uh, interesting career path and forever. We've always talked about how food and fashion are so similar together. So we've started um, an Instagram account and we're basically as a taste creators, we're weaving together food, fashion, and design to uh, kind of create stylized and artistic culinary experiences. And we're like, we're doing things like creating cocktail color palettes. And um, we always do like a dance of the day every now and then, since that's how we met. And it's just kind of for the fun of it. Um, but we are also doing interviews with culinary makers and designers and artisans to kind of just show again, how we're all connected, um, you know, through food and design. Um, so you can, you can follow us if you want a lot of interesting inspiration. We're just on Instagram right now, but we're um, at the taste curators. It's the underscore taste underscore curators. I'm writing it down. I'm so excited to follow <laughs> that. <come> I, follow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're putting together food and fashion with your wife. I think that's so incredible and such an it's such a like unique collaboration of what you love and what she loves. I think it's perfect. I love it. Can't wait Thank to follow. You. Thank you. Yeah, it's you know, it's funny because I think again, being in the fashion world, um, I mean, I'll never forget there was a day I just and I was only kind of a year into um, being in fashion, but I was having a sandwich for lunch and I, I realized all the girls were having salads and, and one of them kind of was like, Oh, you're having a sandwich. And I was like, yeah, we're not allowed to have sandwiches, you know, and, and just realizing like how it was just comical to me how, um, you know, obviously food and fashion have sort of never gone together from the outsider perspective or even in the inside perspective. But, um, I mean, they're just both such creative industries, you know, and especially in the past, you know, several years has been, a couple of fashion shows that are merging those two together. Like actually um, Fendi this past summer, when they did their fashion show, they gave out a pasta shaped like the Fendi logo to everybody who attended. And the designer had based um, her designs off of um, like, just, I mean, she was, you know, obviously in a pandemic. So she was like looking out the window and just kind of having the, the slower day-to-day moments, but she was reminded of like her grandmother's pasta recipe, I believe. And so kind of based the whole collection around, you know, what's important to us. And so I love that tie-in of the food and fashion at Fendi, you know, and I think more and more fashion shows, you know, you see a lot of food come come into play there. And so, yeah, we're just going to kind of keep exploring and, and how everything's so, so connected and how they're actually quite similar, both industries. So yeah, come along come along and follow us. (laughs) I absolutely will. It's so true that inspiration like truly comes from everywhere. It really is. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, something else that we've been we've been doing at the Taste Curators is um, what I kind of call walkabouts. And part, you know, part of my job when I, I travel and even just when I'm in a pandemic and in here, um, I'm always going on walks. And I love finding inspiration in the mundane and just, you know, whether it's an interesting, you know, window or even like a piece of, you know, paper on the sidewalk that's in, in shocking pink or something like you, just all these like little moments. And so I usually I'm always going around and photographing those little things and using that for inspiration. But we recently did a um a thing with a friend of ours who had just moved to Italy and we did a virtual walkabout. So I helped my friend walk around the city in Puglia. And then we kind of picked up on all the colors and textures and things we found. And so then my wife created a pasta dish based around what we saw. So we kind of tied it all together and, and we want to kind of keep doing that more and just showing how, you know, you can take inspiration and put it into something fun, especially like food. That is so creative and incredible. (laughs) Just so unique and creative. I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So yes, check it out. It's on there and you can watch it. We def- I definitely will. And I hope everybody who's listening to this does as well. <laughs> thank you. Of course. No, it's been wonderful having you, Abby. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast. It's been really incredible listening to your story and your work and what you're doing now and especially your, your taste creators. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Collab Career Stories. Follow us on social media at Join the Collab and join us so you can tell your story.